take this job and show it. Yeah, I think this somehow seems appropriate. <laughs> take this job and shove it. I don't know how many ironic songs that we can come up with I think going this forward. Is, this is a long list. It's it's becoming easier and easier week by week. Oh my god. Um, hi guys. Barstool Politics again. Episode 9? Nine? 9. Nine. I think after 10 I'm just not going to mention that anymore. We should, we'll probably run out of material pretty soon. Yeah, right? obviously. Yeah, there are, there's not going to be any politics after Wild. I do think if if Trump were suddenly to go away, I don't know what we would talk about. I, I think there, I, I do remember there were things to talk about pre-Trump, but yeah, we actually uh, had to work at it. Though. Yeah, they, right. yeah, they they seem really boring now. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it's it's the three of us again: Nick McGuire, Bill Muck, and I'm, I'm Phil Barker. Got <laughs> me in the middle of a beer. <laughs> yeah, so. Uh, yeah, I mean, for, for new people that are joining us, uh, we're a, uh, a podcast devoted to trying to figure out um, the giant mess that is going on in this country and around the world, um, while also drinking copious amounts of different types of craft beer um, in the hour to two hours that we have with you. Um, so, yeah, yeah, we've got that. Um, um, should we talk about uh, iTunes and? Yeah. Uh, so if you haven't done so already, um, we're relatively new on iTunes, but growing fairly, fairly efficiently. Yeah. yeah. Um, if that's the correct term, which I don't think it is. Uh, yes. Subscribe to us on iTunes. Rate us on iTunes. You can also find us on SoundCloud. Um, that's where our stuff is is primarily housed. Um, however, you listen to us, just listen to us all the time. The big addition this week is, of course, we're on Facebook. Yes. We also now have a Twitter account. Mm. And if you want to go back into the 1990s, you can now email us at uh, barstoolpolitics at yahoo.com. <laughs> can I find that on Netscape Navigator? Yes. Still How waiting. do I link that to my MySpace page? Still waiting for our first email. but. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> is that one with CompuServe? Yes, yeah, yeah. dial-up. Mm-hmm. So, so, many jokes. so we, we have to start with with Mike Flynn and Russia and all this stuff, right? I think so. Yeah. Yes. If only because we started with the great song on, on <laughs> relating to Flynn. <laughs> See, the joke there was yeah. Yeah. <laughs> all right, Phil. Do you want to you want to summarize uh, what's happened in the last I don't know twenty four hours or so, or, or briefly begin, enter the conversation? Sure. sure. I, so I just got out of class and. Uh, um, my, one of my students asked, so what, I, you know, they, this Mike Flynn stuff's been in the news, but I don't really understand. Can you explain it, like, briefly? And I think it was, like, 15 minutes later. That so I'll try to do it more briefly than that. So, um, <laughs> so Mike Flynn, who is Trump's national security advisor, um, which is, you know, worth kind of pointing out, is a non-confirmed position, right? So he, unlike all the other cabinet appointments, it does not have to be confirmed by the Senate. So... Mike Flynn had been appointed as national security advisor after Trump's election, but had been named before Trump took office. And so um, uh, the, the, the very brief backstory is that when Obama imposed sanctions on Russia in response to the hacking of the election, um, Mike Flynn apparently texted and then called the Russian ambassador. That's, that's the way that you do it. You text first and right. say, hey, yeah. can, can, we, can we have you some are. illegal calls? What you <laughs> right. thinking about? Yeah. 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 So, mm. 
so they have this conversation, um, which we only know about because someone in the in the intelligence community leaked that they had talked. So the initial leak early on was that, hey, Mike Flynn talked to the Russian ambassador. And his response to that was that he had called the Russian ambassador, I think, to wish him a Merry Christmas. Right. Mm-hmm. And, to, and to set up a conversation between Trump and uh, and uh, the Russian ambassador. Mm-hmm. Well, what has come out in the last couple of weeks, and especially in the last 48 hours, is that Mike Flynn actually had numerous conversations, five times that day. Um, and he did, in fact, talk about the sanctions that had been imposed. And I don't know, do we know exactly what he said? Was it just a, a reassurance to the Russians or a promise that Trump's policy, or we don't know. I don't we think there has been any confirmation about what was actually said. No, they, they have said that it was not, it wasn't a specific quid pro quo. Like, we're right. going to do this. It was vague. It was general. But there was some sense that, don't worry, it's going to get better when we're in office, right? But no, that language hasn't been released and, yet. And, and what, became, what what came out was that the intelligence community has transcripts of these conversations which he should have known <laughs> right right, right. so you have so anyway th- this this ends up um taking down flynn so flynn resigns partly because he lied about it so he he, he said that they hadn't talked about it mm-hmm. when they had he told pence that they hadn't talked about sanctions flynn i guess argues that he just doesn't remember if they talked about it. Which right? apparently he, really upset Vice President Pence. He was saying that this is, yeah. Understandably. But Pence went out on multiple uh, shows denying this, that there was any conversation about sanctions. Right. Yeah, so no, there were, there were two angles. One was, you know, did, the lying angle, you know, lying to the administration. And the other was whether this was an illegal act. And the Trump administration has said it was, you know, that he lost trust in him. Which suggests that the you know the act itself was not as problematic, right? Right, because right. it, but it is. I mean, technically, it is illegal. Oh yeah, yeah. Right, he's not supposed to be negotiating with anyone on anything, regardless. Right. I, I mean, I don't think he was negotiating, but any sort of yeah, d- a, a perception of impropriety, I don't think they can even kind of handle right now. No, and it's it's the Logan Act, which apparently has never actually been enforced, and there's some question whether it's even constitutional. But it's just it's just bad form. But the lie, apparently, you can't lie to Donald Trump. <laughs> but so okay, so here's the other here's the other part of the story that's that's I think worth talking about as well, which is the sort of chaos in the administration and the the inability to have any consistent message. So they asked Trump what like a, a day or two before the or when the story first broke about yeah. Flynn having this conversation, they asked him and he was like, I don't know what you're talking about. What's this story? Kellyanne Conway goes out and talks about how there was no conversation, but. It was like it has since come out that the Department of Justice briefed the Trump administration like a month ago on the yeah. existence of this situation and the phone calls. So they did know. And Kellyanne Conway saying that that Flynn has the total confidence of the president and in less than 24 hours he's fired. But on one hand, Trump is saying he's he's firing him. But on the other hand, he's saying that Flynn's getting screwed over by the media. It, it's like it's, it's just it's just chaos. It is total chaos. And then so that story is playing out. And then late Tuesday evening, while that is so, Flynn resigns early Tuesday morning, right? Yeah, I yeah. Believe so. Which is, it's only twenty four hours. So we're we're taping <laughs> Wednesday, and it seems like this is a week of material. But so Flynn Flynn resigns, and then Tuesday evening, the New York Times breaks a story saying that the Trump campaign and Trump associates had extensive and repeated 
context with high-level Russian intelligence officers. Ongoing uh, context. On, that's right, ongoing context. And so this is a separate issue than Flynn's conversation. I mean, this is this is a complicated dynamic, but it's a lot of Russia. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, well, and the interesting thing about that is um, to get an intel- someone in the intelligence community to leak this sort of information is a big deal, right? In the U.S. intelligence community. Yes. Yeah. So if the New York Times had someone in the intelligence community saying this, that would be a big deal. If they had two people in the intelligence community like corroborating each other's story, that would be a big deal. I don't, I don't remember if it was New York Times or CNN. One of them had nine yeah. separate sources within the intelligence community that were that were verifying this story that they had evidence of ongoing contact between the intelligence community, the Russian intelligence community and and Trump aides. It's unclear still at this point if Trump was in any way involved. There's there's just a massive amount of leaking going on right now. I mean, this is like a wide open hose firing of the intelligence community basically saying, and I don't know if they're just angry with Trump, if they're pissed off because of his criticism, if they feel like that nobody's paying attention to this information, so they're going to spill it on them. But it was, uh, it's it's a mat. I mean, this is very, very different from previous. There's always leaks, but never, never like this. Yeah, I I mean, some of that, I think, you could easily say that they're pissed off at him for what he did. I think some of them are still relatively loyal to the previous administration. We don't necessarily know the context of what these these discussions are about. Um, Having said that, it seems pretty not good um just yeah just the fact that the story is even out there which i'm sure this has been going on in every administration we just never hear about it it happens that they need a sacrificial lamb right now and there's blood in the water with flynn yeah but it's a really it's a three-headed monster now because you've got you've got the investigation of flynn Uh you've got this issue of the connections between the trump campaign and intelligence officers Uh and you still have the the russian interference in the u.s elections right Right. those are three separate investigations well that 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 very possibly might come together right so like there is again several people have said that there is not they don't have any evidence or no confirming evidence at this point. I haven't been able to confirm it, but the investigation is the extent to which, if at all, the Trump campaign was collaborating with Russian intelligence in the league. Cause there were, there are interesting coincidences, right? Yeah. So like Roger Stone, the, who's a Trump advisor, a crony of Trump, like very boldly in during the campaign predicted yeah. <laughs> the leak of, of, uh, um, what's his name? Why, why can't I think of his name? The Clinton campaign director. Um, oh, Podesta. Podesta. Yeah. Podesta. Yeah. So he, he says something about like, he actually tweeted something about like, the, you know, Podesta's next. And then like two days later, they start leaking all of this stuff. Right. Um, the Russian, I mean, there was a, someone in the Russia, in the, the hierarchy of Russia said something during or right after the election about how they had had contacts with. So there, there have been like all of these, you know, little threads of evidence out there. And so the question is, can they put them together? Do they all come together or or not? And then what happens if there are these links? 
So, so a funny angle of this is that when Flynn came out, or I guess it was, it was, must have been late last week, somebody from the Kremlin came out and said, like, no, we've never talked to Flynn. This has never happened. And then a day later, like, the U.S. is admitting, oh, yeah, they had this conversation. And then today, after the New York Times story, the Kremlin came out and they had a spokesman who said, no, 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 there were no connections between the Trump administration. And But now the quote was my favorite, so I'm going to read this quote uh, from a Kremlin spokesman. We were not, uh, none of these were based on facts. And do not uh, ins- uh, do not indicate any specific facts. No facts. <laughs> no, no, no facts. No, no facts here. No. I think the thing with the leaks as well that's worth worth thinking about is that if you put yourself in the shoes of the intelligence community, like if you were a career CIA or mm-hmm. national security, you know, NSA guy, like you've spent your life. Russia is not the only opposition, right? There's where the, you're like gathering intelligence on all sorts of people, but you're, yeah. you're not a fan of Russia, right? Like your whole job is sort of counterintelligence and all of this stuff. So, so I think it, it's possible that they're pissed at Trump for like taking shots at them. But I, I think there's this bigger thing in which these people have dedicated their lives to like U.S. national security. And then along comes Trump and his cronies. And there's like, all of this evidence that they're just, you know, chatting it up and hamming it up with Russia. And I think there's some like pushback there just on the like, I I don't know. I I would imagine that their frustration or they have some level of frustration with the extent to which Congress doesn't care and nobody's like investigating this stuff. And so there's like this constant trickle of leaks. And I think it's almost like forcing the hand of Congress and the media to like continue talking about this story. Like there's there's something here. Yeah. So what I would say to that and uh, yeah, I completely agree that the intelligence community, they dedicate their lives to, you know, U.S. national security and that's that's what they do while all of this is going on. And there's these concepts of investigation and impropriety and things like that. We have a Russian spy ship 70 miles off the coast of Delaware that apparently we weren't intelligent enough to do something about. (laughs) They're, did they buzz a carrier group or a destroyer in the Gulf? And then they deployed like ballistic missiles somewhere this is, this in the same week. Yeah, that's, that's the that, yeah. Where's yeah, your intelligence? Both of those are getting buzzed. The, the the ballistic missile thing is a much bigger story yes, because that's actually in violation of a treaty we have. And 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 the Russian ship is like disconcerting, but yeah. at the same time they're in international waters and they have a right to be there and all like. It, it's no, you know it's not cool like right like we don't like to know think about the not fact cool relationship hanging off the coast but they technically have a right to do that to some extent but the the cruise missile test like is getting no discussion and it's right. yeah and if you are if you're Donald Trump and you let's say that all of these connections with Russia are true and we don't know what the degree is but mm-hmm. let's say they are let's say there were these preliminary conversations about getting him elected let's say they're really really dense networks of, of rottenness. And now he gets elected, and Putin is like, "Now I put missiles by you." Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's just this is if he's he, got to be fr- he's got to be worried about all if this. If he doesn't do something, I think yeah. it's extraordinarily telling. He's got he he's, has to. Yeah, he does. He's I mean, granted, it's only been a few days at this point, but like you mentioned, Phil, this is an indirect violation of a specific treaty that's yeah. been around for what thirty years more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> and now, okay, so to go back to the leaking issue, um, so. Is there any? Do we do? Is this not a little bit hypocritical or funny? The fact that Donald Trump now is tweeting and is angry about all the leaks when this was the gentleman who was calling for Russia to hack, you know, the and get Hillary Clinton's emails. Uh, it uh, for me though. Then so you have this, and then you have the Republican establishment following along, saying yes, we got to cut down on these leaks, and you know they're going oh. 
really wish I didn't have to say this because <laughs> it's just not it's not good. <clears throat> yeah, it's insane. I saw- so I mean I, I don't we can we can talk we've had this sort of general discussion in previous weeks about you know whether Trump survives a full term or whatever I, I this, I, this the, the this... news story that's broken this week I, you know I'm just now starting to think about this and I don't like to be like overly alarmist or whatever but like my I, it pushes me towards or more towards the idea that he might be done. And here's why. Here's why. <laughs> I say that for a couple of reasons. Um, and and, and it, it's partly that what, what has happened or what, what this reveals is the, that the intelligence community does not like him, right? Mm. And that they have dirt on him. And they're going to continue to push until basically there's some level of I, I just think that sort of what is happening in the sort of continual leak of these things indicates that even if the public has moved on the law enforcement and the intelligence community has not and they're not going to back down from this and i i don't I, there's just so there's so much smoke like there's no guarantee that he's involved but like Mike Flynn didn't on his own randomly call the like it's, even if he might have gone to Trump and said, hey, I'm going to do this. And Trump's like, OK, I, I would be shocked if Trump wasn't aware of that phone call. It, it's possible. It's but it seems highly unlikely. Likely, right. No, I, I'm, I'm in agreement there. Of All of the like the craziness about getting Trump out of office and impeachment conversation, most of that up until this point, there's there's nothing there. Right. It's just it's hyperbole and, and, and it, it does. There's no substance to it. And there isn't a ton of substance yet on this, but you see the potential, right? If 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 they start connecting the dots and though and they go all the way up to Trump, then this becomes a Watergate type deal. And we don't know. And maybe maybe it was Flynn going rogue, and there's a handful of other individuals, Stone and uh, Manafort. Maybe a couple of those guys were just outside of their what they should have been doing, and then it's a slap on the wrist, and we move on. But if if they find other connections, then this becomes a huge story. I mean. A really potentially really really big story, and when I say I he, like he, like I'm sort of thinking like there's the possibility that he's done it. That's not like I'm not talking in the next two days, right? Like right, this right. would be you know a months long process of this unraveling. But it, it's interesting to see people on the you know looking on Twitter and what you have people on the left who get sort of giddy about this. Like he's right. done, and we'll call, we'll no, have a special yeah. election, and Clinton will win. <laughs> right? Like it's just it, like. No, nope. <laughs> if if Trump is gone, like it's going to be a long, painful process. And if he's gone, then then Pence is our new president. Right. That's the way it works. Right. There's no special election. There's no going back and undoing the last election and making Hillary Clinton president. Right. right? This, and, and if Pence goes down with him, then Paul Ryan is our president. Yeah. <laughs> That's how it works. And if, if, if this does happen, and it's a big if, but if for, if for some reason there were these connections, they find Trump was involved in, you know, advocating for all of this and he's he's impeached. Pence emerges as the smartest guy in the American political system. Yes. And think about that transition. When he accepted, everybody was ragging on him and tearing him down. This was terrible. How dare you do this? And he's going to sit up there, mm. potentially, and be the president. Uh, and, and be in a really strong position now. <clears throat> mm-hmm. oh. it, yeah, I, I mean, I, I still I, I think it's going to be extraordinarily difficult to pin anything on, on Trump yeah. as, as the individual. I don't think he had the political networks to even really have his his uh, 
I don't want to say claws or hooves yeah. or something else that's going to relate him to some sort of animal or demon. <laughs> um, his hands, we'll say hands. Yeah, uh, tiny hands. Yeah, tiny hands. Uh, like that deep in the dirt of what you guys are talking about. So you're I saying don't... his hands are too small to really get into <laughs> Yes, <laughs> yes. It's, it's, yeah, like a lobster trying I, to get a, a clump of dirt. I, so I, part of me thinks, I, yes, I agree that they're not that stupid, right? So presidents do bad things throughout U.S. history, but they always are, there's always plausible deni- deniability. Sure. So you, you have your minions go out, they do the dirty work, and they're willing to fall on their sword and protect you. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And so my assumption here is that would be the case, that you have smart minions. But Michael Flynn know. should have known yeah. that the United States government is going to be listening in to his conversation. So that makes me wonder whether this is really amateur hour, in which case then who knows what comes next. Well, if he realistically, like you said, he should know. So what if it's more complex than that? It, it could be. Did did they have a reason to not have him here, have him there? Right. Not uh, here, uh, not taping with us. Right. <laughs> so, Hi, Michael. Like, I mean, this is where you go back to the argument that you've made for the last several weeks, Bill, that, that Trump's just sort of, you know, a buffoon, right? Yes. Like he's not like a mastermind. Yeah. And, and if that's the case, then I, like, I think if he were Nixon, right, and like was able to sort of cover stuff up, but... Trump is a guy who's going around on like a five-year-old Android cell phone that people that apparently, I mean, I couldn't because I'm old, but apparently like, a, you know, a fifth grader could hack it from what people are talking about, right? Like if, like if they were, if they were, if they had FISA warrants to be tapping into people, like if, if the intelligence community has been taping conversations with other people in that, there's no reason to believe that they wouldn't have been taping or that Trump, I mean, Trump's not, I, don't, I think he, you know, if he was communicating or sending emails or texts to people about this sort of stuff, I, I don't, I don't, I think there's possible that it's out there. And here's the other thing is I don't, I don't think it's back to the whole mastermind thing. I don't think that Trump is like calling Vladimir Putin and they're arranging ways to get him into power. Right. I think Putin had an interest in disrupting politics or Russia had an interest in disrupting American politics and Trump had an interest in getting elected and they had sort of, you know, converging interests in that sense. And I don't think that there was necessarily collusion in the sense of like, we're going to get together and plan this. Mm. But, but yeah, I mean, I think it's, that doesn't mean there wasn't, you know, contact or working together in this, in this sort of broader sense. (laughs) But then what's, what's the end game? What is the benefit to Russia in this situation? We've talked about, they have a decreasing population, they have a stagnant economy or shrinking economy and they're not a, a major political or military threat when it, you really get down to it. I, I think Putin's, Putin's gotten everything he wanted out of Donald Trump, right? Like, sure. like in the sense of, like, Trump's going to, is at least promising to soften sanctions on Russia. He's, like, backed away from, like, he's, even if he hasn't, like, actually done the real damage yet, he's brought into question the validity of NATO and whether or not NATO is valuable. He's brought into question the validity of democratic politics in the U.S., like, all of this stuff. Like, I think that that's sort of, you know, that's, like, more than enough for Trump. And, and I think that's where, like, now the argument that, like, Trump and and, and Putin, or did I say that's more than enough for Trump? That's more than enough for Putin. Yeah, yeah. I was a little confused on that one. <laughs> yeah. The argument that Trump and Putin are, in, again, some way colluding or that Trump's a, a puppet of Putin, I think, like, Putin wants chaos, right? Like, he wants to be able to say America is no better than us and democracy is, you know, stupid and, and, and like, 
that doesn't require being good friends with Trump to do that, right? Like no, getting right. Trump into office and the sort of instability and the chaos that's being created and the question about democracy and all this other stuff. But his his I actions. Putin, go ahead. No, I'm sorry. Go I ahead. imagine that Putin's sitting back and loving it. I, I think so, Nick. He really says it. No, I, I mean, like I get that perspective, but his actions are in so many different directions. Like he wants to cause chaos this in the U.S. Putin. Putin. Yeah. Yes. Um, and with the democratic system that we have set up here, he's stationing ballistic missiles somewhere, I don't even remember where it was, regardless, in violation of a treaty that was signed several decades ago. But he's also outlawing Bolshevik celebrations, Mm -hmm. so he's not for communism, necessarily. So what the fuck is he doing? Or is he no, just insane? He's, you know, he's he's arguing for. I think he he's no longer communist, but this idea of the Soviet Union and the power of that identity is is very much who he is, and sure. it's a much more conservative. You know, when you think he's a, of he's a nationalist, right, right, Russian right. nationalism, right. And, and bringing in bringing former Soviet states back into that Russian orbit. When I think about the interaction between a potential, you know, the Trump administration and Russia, I don't see that as a, a an equal conversation. I sure. think Russia saw a lot of things they could get out of this. And and who knows what the nature of it is, but but the Trump administration probably thought, well, they hate Hillary too. This is somebody can, we can work with. And and Trump is thinking big picture, yeah. not only working with, with Putin, I'm sorry, with Trump short term, but then also alienating the Trump administration long term, right? I, I think that's part of this missile deployment, the ship deployment. It's showing that, you know, hey, I'm not on your side. You, you made a mistake here. Uh, this, yeah, it... If you, if you want to understand, if you want to understand Putin, you have to recognize that, I mean, I'm no Russia scholar, but this is my impression, that everything that he does, you have to interpret through the lens of domestic politics. Okay. So he's not concerned, like, I, I, I mean, I think he's concerned about international politics, but only to the extent that it helps consolidate his power at home. So the extent to which that, you know, he can point to the U.S. as problematic or that he can sort of flex Russia's muscle in, you know, Crimea or wherever is all about consolidating and solidifying his control in Russia. But is it just consolidating his control or is it consolidating Russia's control over the region or the the political discourse that's happening on a global perspective. I would I would say both, right? So it is he has to worry about his public pushing back against him, but he also wants to present. He just kills him. Well, well right, but that's part. That's <laughs> one of the tactics. But the other one is you know this this image of Russia as a counterbalance to Western liberalism. Sure. And there's there's a market for that. I think there's some Trump is interested in that message as well. Mm-hmm. This this anti-globalization, anti-immigration, more conservative, I mean this nationalistic. This all fits very well with Putin's message. Mm-hmm. And and actually for the record, let me point out that I'm opening my second beer now and it is Old Rasputin. <laughs> Phil, they make a beer called Old Rasputin. <laughs> Not New I Hampshire, think, though. I, I think Putin is incre- – I mean, again, he's incredibly corrupt, right? He has sure. used the power of the presidency of Russia to enrich himself, right? And he has ties to these oligarchs and this cor- – like, and and he stands to lose a lot by losing power. And so I, I think that, yes, all of this – sort of ideological and geopolitical stuff matters, but ultimately it's about his ability to stay in power because of the massive like yeah. economic and financial incentives that he has for staying in power. But who's like, who's under the assumption that he can't 
he doesn't or can't control the Russian government and Russia as a nation at this point. He dictates who's allowed to run against him. He He's easily, what, killed, I don't even know how many journalists. And, and yeah. it doesn't, it doesn't yeah. make any, it, like, it, it makes, like, I don't understand the end game of this. Well, but there, there is, there is, a, there is, he's, I think, what you hear is that he's very worried about his public turning against him. And, yeah. and part of this is, in 2011, when there was that little uprising in Russia yeah. that Hillary Clinton supported, that was part of the reason he hates Putin, hates Hillary so much. I would hate her too. <laughs> because she was encouraging this movement. So uh, even though I think you're right that he is in control of Russia, he realizes that it's a fickle game and that he could lose if, if the public quickly shifts. Yeah, but... Right. Go ahead, Phil. I, I'm yeah, just talking about dictator, my ass at this like, point. <laughs> Like there are di- dictators have have control like that what you're talking about this sort of institutional control they can ban opposition parties they can control elections they can rig elections and all of that but you can have a dictator that does all that stuff and still has the public turn on him sure. right yeah. like Syria yeah. or the Arab Spring or whatever right but and so you, even though you do that stuff it's still important like you can you can check all the institutional possibilities for getting you out of power but it's still important to like maintain the devotion of the people right so while you're assassinating people it's also important to get them to rally around russian nationalism and it's good to be russian and yeah yeah that's that's the bait which is easier to kill people um no and and i agree with that my point is that with everything that he's done over the past several years and during the presidential election and with trump and ukraine none of this is helping his people or improving no, their standing no, that's right so right. like my my question is he maintains power through the institutions of the russian government at this point yep and he he's coming from a nationalist perspective and it seems like they still support him pretty heavily where's the turning point then he's so you're right this is right economically russia is a weak power now right. they, they have no i mean they're basically dependent on selling natural gas for their Why own income again yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sorry. so so he has to ramp up nationalism loc- in, in, within the country domestically mm-hmm. and then he's got to paint the united states as this grave threat internationally mm-hmm. to rally people around the flag uh sure. it is it's a tenuous position and so it makes sense that he's going to try to manipulate undermine things cause chaos and Trump is a really useful asset to do that. I don't think that's enough to stop the people from turning on him, though. If no, they I agree with that. If, you know, the store shelves are bare again, yeah. like it's fucking 1986. Eventually this runs out. Now the question is how long he can continue to do this. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Should mm-hmm. we transition God, to yes. North Korea? <laughs> um, and so I think there's a lot... <laughs> That's good. Oh, hello. Uh, all right, so North Korea was in the news a couple times this week, uh, and I think the bigger issue was the missile test, the, uh, the the convention or the meeting between Trump and Abe, Prime Minister Abe. But for me, the like the breaking news was the assassination of Kim Jong Un's half brother today at a Malaysian airport. And it was yesterday, right? Was it yesterday? Yeah. yeah I think well, it's yesterday. T- time change. It's probably still today. Well, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and so these assassins uh, came up, and so Kim Jong Un's half brother uh, has been uh, afraid for years. Kim Jong Un has made it cl- very clear that he wants him assassinated, and he's he's even apologized to him, saying like, "I'm sorry, please don't assassinate me." But today, in the Malaysian airport, two women approached him. 
and either poked him with a needle or rubbed some sort of uh, poison-soaked uh, cloth over him, causing his death. Um, mm. yeah. Did you see they, they arrested one of the women? They found what caught one of the women today. Right. And she has an LOL t-shirt yeah, on. I saw that. <laughs> now, no, nothing about an assassination is funny, but the fact that she was like, mm, I'm going to go with the LOL t-shirt today. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh. So he was the one not to go too off topic. Mm-hmm. He was the one that loved going to like Disney World or some theme park, right? That was him. The one that I'm that's, thinking of. My okay. understanding is that's what got him out. So he was he was in line. He was the to, oldest. To power. He was the oldest. Right. And it was it was I, I think it was a trip to Disneyland that basically Changed led him. his dad to basically pull the plug and say that <laughs> that he was no longer going to be the heir to power but Kim Jong Un was going to be the heir to power. <laughs> no. What I, I I've been to Disney World twice. I found it to be a, a delightful experience. Why would uh, the father have such trouble with that? Have you been on It's a Small World? No, Don't you want to kill everyone that's, around you? No, that's a, that's a bad ride. That's a bad ride. <laughs> it would turn anybody into that's a rampant communist. Oh, all right. So that was that. That's more the side story. The real story was the North Korean missile test this week, uh, which occurred while the Prime Minister of Japan was having dinner. Uh, with the president of the United States and Phil, you want to—I don't know—you want to explain? You you found this particularly interesting? Yeah. So I mean, there's there's like twelve different storylines tied up, up in this, right? So so there's the the um, you know the North Korea missile test is not coincidental, right? They they oftentimes do these tests yeah. in in line with either a, a visit from a U.S. president to Japan or something like that. So the fact that the Japanese prime minister is visiting the Trump. The, visiting Trump in in the U.S. It almost certainly had something to do with why they were testing it. Now, there, there's that question, but then there there are all these other stories. Like, I mean, there's all sorts of fascinating and bizarre things about the interactions of Trump and, and Prime Minister Abe of Japan. Wait, can we can we call him Hey Shinzo because Trump <laughs> apparently did that? Trump confused <laughs> hey, Shinzo. first name and last name and thought Shinzo was his last name and. <laughs> So he had met or he had talked with a few days before Chinese leaders. Yes, and the, and yeah. Chinese, the Chinese protocol is, of course, that the first like the first and last name are switched or whatever. So you would call them, you know, you would call someone, you know, President Z, yeah. or, Xi or whatever, of Xi Jinping or whatever. Yeah. And Trump obviously thought that all Asians are alike. So <laughs> when it came to the guy this, this is where this is where briefings like where we like to like laugh about the you know this is where briefings and having like state department people actually matters right like having yes. some sort of proto but yes the thing is i could Trump, easily see them telling him that and him just not listening or not giving a yeah seat. yeah <laughs> call him call him prime minister abe hey shinzo <laughs> so he, he tweeted something about prime minister shinzo which would be like this the equivalent of referring to donald trump as president donald right so um <laughs> So there was that. There was the fact that they were meeting at Mar-a-Lago, yes, and which is which is Trump's White House, in, yeah, yeah, in Florida, which he just doubled the fees to join. Awesome. And when the news came in that the North Koreans had tested this missile, they just proceeded to like have their little powwow about it right there in the dining room of Mar-a-Lago, surrounded by people. So, and there's all sorts of aspects of this, like normal. Like average Americans, not average. They were people who could afford a two hundred thousand dollars membership to Mar-a-Lago. But people were like snapping Instagram photos of the president, like talking about this, like in an open air dining room. People with their phones out, like shining the light on documents, like right. which is all just absolute horrible protocol for security, right? Like it's 
I, I heard somebody, or I read one article that was talking about like uh, tr traditionally when this happens on the road for a president, they go to a special room. Yeah. Like so, when you're on, like when you're on the road, you can't have all of the levels of security that you would in like the Situation Room. But normally, they would put up a tent yeah. to block against any potential cameras, to block like radio frequencies, to deal with sound issues, because of the the you know the seriousness of the issues you're talking about. <laughs> Trump and the Prime Minister of Japan just chatting about it. <laughs> well, and, and my favorite part was that the, they couldn't see because it was dark outside, and so they got the cell phone lights on yeah. to light the agreements. <laughs> And they're looking at these, and I'm sure you know. I guess to, to circle back to our previous conversation about Russia, like Putin is now like try, probably trying to get servers to go work at Mar-a-Lago. Like, right? oh, I'd bring your shrimp now. It's good. I know. I know nothing about technology, but all the stuff I've read since then that said has said essentially that if you shine your flashlight on a document, you might as well be broadcasting it to right, the world. Like, right. For security reasons, it's it's yeah. There's no protecting. That, and again, so. all of like the focus on the on Hillary's emails seems sort of silly now. But uh, yeah, although here, okay, to to defend Donald Trump, I will say his response to this I thought was somewhat reasonable and restrained. Uh, now it was a little weird that they have all this conversation and over the dinner table, and then they call this you know uh, this this quick press conference and uh, Prime Minister Abe gives a fairly uh, detailed comment and then Trump gets up and says I just want to reinforce our alliance with Japan like that was a little odd but it was restrained and then the response of the administration to the North Korean missile test I thought was was reasonable right it was it, it, it felt to me that hey they got something right you know that they they weren't over the top it was different than the response to Iran it was potentially allowing negotiations right I mean all of this I I found myself at one point this week, before all the Flynn stuff, thinking, Trump's having a pretty good week. <laughs> you know, he's... He so and, you were the one that jinxed Yeah, it. yeah, right. Okay. He and Shinzo had a nice dinner. They figured out North Korea okay. He had a really good handshake with uh, Prime Minister Trudeau. I mean, that went no, well. That, that handshake was a disaster. No, no, no it was good. It wasn't. No, it, it, was, was it, was, it was a disaster for Trump. Like, Trump always goes in for the, like, bear claw shake and dirt. And Trudeau resisted. So. When, when you watch the video of Trump shaking the hand of Gorsuch, the Supreme Court, you know, a potential nominee, like, I'm surprised his shoulder still is in the socket because there's so many like jerks jerks, jerks. but Trudeau really, came in ready Trudeau was ready for that I didn't realize until this week the pat that that was like his standard yeah handshake and I've seen several people put together that video it's very much like a dominant you know it's He's like it's what they would teach you <laughs> <That's right>. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's what they would teach you American like uh, you know how to be good at business like you know yeah you, right. you got a firm handshake you look him in the eye and you're you know, it's like a powerful position, yeah. right? It's, and so the, the so the yeah, the handshake actually the the handshake in the White House with uh, with Abe was great because it went on forever and ever and ever, and then ultimately Abe rolls his eyes, going like, "What's going on here?" <laughs> One of my favorite little tidbits of fact that I saw about the meeting with Abe was that throughout through a, I guess a significant chunk of their meeting, Trump didn't wear an earpiece, which. It may not seem oh, no. like that big of a thing, but what that means is he didn't understand a damn thing that the Prime Minister of Japan was saying for their entire meeting. So I've, I've seen that Seinfeld episode. You just go, yeah. 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 Uh -huh. Gibberish, gibberish, yeah. gibberish. My turn to talk. More gibberish. <laughs> Why would you not do that? Like, what's the point of having a meeting with someone if you're not going to actually have a translator that will explain what's being said? Wait, so do they do a translator or do they put the little earpiece in? 
Well, it's an earpiece, but well, that that's, could mess that the is. hair up. Do what? That could mess that the mess hair up. Could literally set his hair on fire. Which <laughs> product in it. Yeah. That's right. There's like some yeah. electrical current. Yeah. Nick, I, I, yeah, that's it's it's just bad. Um, no, no, I, th- I, I really think the the interaction with with Abe. The interaction with with uh, Trudeau of Canada was both of those were positive. Yes, I thought he did a nice job with China. So there was the whole issue of whether he was going to recognize one China. He did that this week. That went well. Uh, in some ways, he was critical of Russia on the Ukraine issue. He talked about settlements in Israel. There were a number of things where I thought Trump is moderating his position, and then like the Flynn and everything else happens. So I, I would like to argue that. You're just like your your <laughs> standards are eroding, right? Like, like I, yes, by, by that may be true. By Trump standards, the meeting with Trudeau and with Abe is was good. Hey, he's yeah. been but put like, on a performance to, improvement plan, so we have to set our expectations yes. low. Right, <laughs> but like in order to say that his meeting with Abe was positive, you have to like get past the fact that he like shook his hand like vigorously for 20 <laughs> seconds and got this crazy look that he didn't listen. He didn't understand anything the guy was saying, but they had a meeting in public that he paraded the prime minister of Japan over to a wedding at Mar-a-Lago because the guests had paid him a fortune. And he told them that too. Yes. <laughs> yes. You have to get rid of all of that. So like if you, yes, if you ignore all of that. Well, the guest was actually Vladimir Putin. They didn't, they didn't say that. Yeah. You just look at like Shinzo Abe. You're like, oh, that went pretty well. All right. But no. <laughs> how much of that's just Shinzo Abe being like unreasonably reasonable, right? Like in his like, dealings with Trump. No, I, I think that's fair, Phil. I think that when I think about the Trump foreign policy, I envision a a six-year-old t-ball game where everybody's going in random directions, nobody's paying attention, it's total chaos, and you just hope nobody gets clobbered with a bat, right? And so my thought was like, hey, nobody got clobbered with a bat this week. (laughs) Right, right. But of course, what what you're admitting there is that the standard by which you're judging Trump Trump's foreign policy is a six-year-old's t-ball game, right? Phil, I need something. Give me something, man. There's <laughs> <laughs> no. not enough beer on the planet, right? Right. Now. No, no. Yeah, I, I will say, like, but when you compare that to the first couple weeks of the administration, which were just a disaster foreign policy-wise, this felt like a centering. I will, I will give you. He's still not above zero, but he's a, he's approaching zero in terms of behavior. No, but it's certainly better. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, you're right. He. There were some actual legitimate steps that they made this week yeah. that continue to get overshadowed by stupid shit like this. Like, that he does. Oh, he th- does. That he yeah. does. Yeah. yeah. But regardless, there right. there are some not bright spots, but sp- spots of less darkness. Like, no, I will say that way. I think that's fair. I think if you look at what... I, I, my sense is that certainly Bannon is still having a major influence, but... But Mattis and Tillerson, and you know, Secretary of Defense, Secretary of State, two two competent people are clearly driving a lot of this, and it, it feels like they're they're making good policy when Trump isn't doing silly things. So, mm. I yeah, I, I got nothing on that. Nothing. <laughs> so the, the question, to some extent, is how long are they willing to like put up with it, right? So like, Who I don't know the whole story, with? but like like Tillerson and Mattis oh, and yeah. people like that. So like Tillerson, like. I guess there's a spat ongoing between he and the White House because 
about ambassador, like about embassy appointments in Europe. Yeah. And was that with Priebus or was that with Bannon? I don't remember. I think it was uh, Priebus. I think it was – well, actually, that's a good question. It might have been Pre- – yeah, I, I don't know. Um, so Tillerson, in, in, upon accepting the job, had been uh, – one of his conditions was that he would have input into U.S. ambassadors to you know a few important countries. And yeah. I guess – I think it was Priebus who wanted to use these for largely political appointments, which is kind of to some extent tradition. He's, right. he's going to be on – Priebus will be fired in a week. You know, he's <laughs> – that problem will take care of itself. They're going to have a, a whole new cast by the spring. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, and I, I, we didn't have it on the discussion. Did you see the um, the statement by Mattis in regards to, to NATO and the U.S.'s obligation? Yes. Yeah. How, um, I mean, in essence, he was saying that the members of NATO need to up their defense spending. Otherwise, the U.S. is going to reevaluate its um, yeah. commitment. Yeah. Something like that, which is something that Trump had spoken about before. I honestly didn't think that we were going to see something put into relative action this soon. Well, it, what's interesting, it's it's juxtaposed with like, I, I saw like two totally different groups of people on Twitter who were like loving Mattis statements. And they came from the same conversation. One statement was that NATO is at the bedrock of American values, right? Like one of the, one of the statements was this total reaffirmation of NATO. And so I saw all these like, you know, international, you know, international organization people who are like, yeah, you know, so I, you know, retweeting that. And then all of these other people who are sort of more conservative skeptics are like retweeting this statement that, and they're, they're very at odds with each other. One's like, this is the bedrock of American values. And if other people don't start paying their way, we're out of here. Right. It's like a, it's an interesting contrast. Like Mattis is having to walk a strange, line right like a, a, i don't disagree a, with the point though no and i would say there's some history to this uh phil the former president of texas a&m who eventually got to be secretary of defense what was his name again gates yeah gates gates that's right uh. <laughs> he had also criticized nato so i i'm not i don't think this is as big of a deal as it potentially could be mm. i think it's you know kind of rattling nato a little bit given russia's behavior I fully expect NATO will say, like, whatever you need. Right. Uh, I mean, the United States is still going to pay a predominant amount of this, and that's sure. that, and it's in the United States' interest to do so. But it, w- it was a little out of character for him, and so you wonder mm. whether that was coming from up above saying... I can't imagine that it wouldn't have been. Yeah, I hate Tillerson say this, and... I right. think it's a relatively, yeah, like you said, with yeah. the advancement of Russia, I think it's relatively, it's a relatively easy win. Yeah. Um, and, and not a bad time... To have this conversation, right? Yeah. right? Yeah. The U.S. is in a strong position. If you want to negotiate or, or push your allies to contribute more, yeah, mm-hmm. the, the situation's <laughs> ideal. Yeah. yeah. So, so one of the topics that Nick I think is dying to talk about is uh, comedy and the administration. Yay. Can we can we transition there? Yes. Yeah. And. Funny things. Well, right, and and the way in which comedy has responded to Donald Trump, uh, Saturday Night Live is obviously getting a lot of attention. Ugh. But well, so and I I I think this is a really really reflective kind of exciting field. So Nick, I'll just you just go. No, right? I, I know. First of all, Saturday yeah. Night Live has not been funny since Will Ferrell and Chris Kattan and those people were on there in like ninety nine. <laughs> Showing your age, Nick. I don't care. Like that. Sorry, that's the last oh. time it was funny. <laughs> Although although they hit their highest ratings in, it just came out. I forget how long. It, it's been a significant period of time. They had their highest ratings in you know 
decades or whatever. It's just because they're so, uh, they've been been so awful for so long. I'm, so, I'm not taking a fill. That's so, not. It's not legitimate. So the Melissa McCarthy, Sean Spicer stuff. You oh, you don't God. like that? I, I you know what? It's it's funny. Yeah. Like, I, I, you can't say that it's not. And you know you look at the, the history of SNL and how they would just lambast politicians, yeah. and that's a cornerstone of you know American comedy. You have every right and absolutely should. Find some way to make fun of these people because they're so easy to make fun of. What is concerning to me is that when they're not talking about that, in the weeks prior to this, they're singing songs to pictures of dear leader Obama, <laughs> like like it's a it's it's a, some bizarre send off. Like they're they've become. It's so obvious that they just there's no balance there whatsoever, no. and everyone. If you're talking about comedy, every single person is expendable at the exact same rate. It, it's clear that the culture, and I use that term carefully, like I, 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 has moved to the left, right? Comedy, or I should I should ask you this: Do you feel is all of yes. comedy? Yes, all, all of comedy has moved to the left. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and outside of SNL, you hear about instances with comedians like. Sarah Silverman calling for a military coup yeah. and, you know, calling Trump the, the Mad King and Ooh. all that Twitter nonsense. And then Judd Apatow, who's made some of the most misogynistic, childish movies that any of us have ever seen, which I think all of them are hilarious, is coming out there. And, and just, all, right, all right, the three guys sitting in this room right now, you don't think those movies are funny? No, they're good, yeah. Oh no, yeah, no. I just think it's. I, I like that you acknowledge that they're both misogynistic and funny. Same of course. Yeah. yeah, you almost can't have one without the other. Um, it's just this hypocritical nonsense that. Uh, who was the other one? And this one bugged me to such an extent. It's it was Piers Morgan and Jim Jeffries, and mm. I despise Piers Morgan yeah. to an unfathomable I think everybody degree. does. Yeah, yeah, he's just yeah. a shithead. Yeah. And Jim Jeffries, honestly, I liked him as a comedian. I think he's really talented and and he he does a good act. But and he just goes on about, you know, Trump being literally Hitler and Nazis and all this just rhetoric that you hear now that is so fucking out of control. And they just they're eating themselves now. Comedians ratting on each other and saying you can't talk about that. And people going into stand-up comedy shows and lambasting the comedian, getting up and standing up and screaming at them mm. because they don't agree with their political stance or something remotely like a political stance. It's completely out of control. I'm tired. I need a drink. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so my, my critique of... of no, not allowed. <laughs> SNL comes from a different perspective, okay. which is I, I it, there's something rich about SNL like sort of proclaiming themselves as the you know bastion against trumpian politics when they had trump on as a host yes, numerous right. times and ate it up and like they helped enable him right sure. so like to turn around and be like this guy is terrible and how dare he like it, it's there's yeah i mean that that is my other problem with snl it has nothing to do with politics it just has to do with the fact that like the, i thought the two weeks ago when they did the first spicer thing with Melissa McCarthy, I thought it was hilarious. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But but the the what they do is they're like, oh people thought that was funny. And so let's do the exact same thing next right. week. Right. And I was yeah, like, oh, it's not gonna like, stop. This last week I was like, okay, like just this is nothing 
Yeah. Well, and they just keep bringing in people that have such a hatred of the administration and Trump specifically. You're going to bring in Melissa McCarthy, and then you're talking about bringing in Rosie O'Donnell, who is the so did, the Antichrist she's in, got, in the Trump is, in the Trump. Is, but uh, she deserves realm. her moment, though. For as much as Trump has trashed her, like you got to give her you got to give her like five minutes. Here's, here's my Trump. question: Is anyone talking about bringing in Rosie O'Donnell? Yes, other, Rosie O'Donnell. Like yes. I see Rosie O'Donnell like totally pushing herself. Like put me on, put me on. But I haven't <laughs> seen like any actual. Like, I thought like, there like, was like, some serious talk about her actually coming in as I can't remember yeah, who she was uh, Steve, coming in. Steve Bannon. Yeah, as, yeah, as Steve Bannon. Bannon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So my my I got a couple of reactions to all of this, but I love Melissa McCarthy as Sean Spicer, and I, I, for a couple of reasons. One, she's just funny, right? And I don't care she what she funny. would do; she's funny. But I love that, and I'm not a big fan of Saturday Night Live because it starts at 10:30. I'm usually asleep by then, and like this is kind of a silliness. But um, but the fact that they flipped the gender role for me was good, right? That was I love that they were poking at gender a little bit, and that that bothered Trump, right? For me. Yeah. You know, I'm not huge into comedy, but I think like poking people is good, and that yeah, that to. way that way of poking Trump, I thought was pretty creative. Like to flip it to make Spicer a woman mm-hmm. is is a, a creative way of getting at him, and it clearly had an effect. Yeah. Now, I, I, I like like Phil. I think that Saturday Night Live to be criticizing him is the the, the hypocrisy at its its greatest because they have feed it off of him. And you even saw that a little bit this week because I, I taped it and watched it because, of course, who can stay up that late? But, you know, adults. it almost like felt that. like they were feeding off each other, <laughs> feeding off each other that Trump needs Saturday Night Live to have somebody to attack, to attack Alec Baldwin. But Saturday Night Live equally needs Donald Trump to do stupid things. Right. And it just was a symbiotic relationship, which I felt, I, I, like you, Phil, Bringing now Melissa McCarthy, I thought was funny again this week, but the yeah. number of Trump-related skits felt like okay, it it feels too much, right? This right, uh, it's got to be a shift. It's, yeah, it's too early right now to have this much. There is yeah. a lot of material. I don't think anybody is questioning that. Right, but again, what? Mm-hmm. I, I I can't even count the number of weeks in. It's not enough to have this much material to go off of. Yeah, yeah, it's it's just not. You look at <laughs> something like. Um, Will Ferrell doing George Bush or uh, yeah. Dana Carvey doing the other Bush or yeah. um, Phil Hartman doing uh, Reagan, yeah. something like that. You have four to eight years of solid material to go off of. And they spread it out and they don't do it every week and it's not a centerpiece constantly. You're supposed to be better than that. You're comedians. You're not politicians or political pundits. Just shut the fuck up and do your jobs. Well, and some of this is, I think, the fact that Be funny, time... damn it. <laughs> <laughs> Nick is lathered up. Some of this is that we're taking time and cramming it into such a small space. Right. I mean, what Trump has been president for what twenty five days? Yeah. It feels Less than a month. like yeah. it feels like fifty years. Yes, it does. And so comedy <laughs> feels that same way. Where like there's so many jokes, there's so many opportunities, there's so many things to reflect on that it, it does feel like overload. And and, and so there's there's it, it goes back to the comedians to say like be creative, do something different. Uh, right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, go ahead, Phil. Yeah, I don't. I, I mean, I want to. I don't want to downplay too much the power of like comedy and satire, right? Like this is. I think it's. It can be incredibly powerful for taking down, you know, and for attacking the administration, right? It's getting to. It, it gets to Donald Trump. Yeah, I, the thing I don't. The thing that I find weird is the extent to which Saturday Night Live has, either, 
through like their own interpretation or through like you know the country has decided that they're like the bastion against yeah. you know trumpism or whatever which I, it's like you know like you use it to make a point or whatever but saturday Night live is not going to save the world right no. they're not going to prevent trump from doing bad things no. like this is like it, it, it's yeah it's I, supposed I to give you a chuckle and it's a it's an it's supposed to be an escape from the shit that you have to deal with during the week like it, it can't be a political platform constantly, and that's the only reason that people talk about it. Right. Do you hear about any other skits on Saturday Night Live now besides the Trump no. shit? No, because they're not funny. That's nobody gives a shit. So, you don't even have to stay up. That, Sorry. To what extent is it that that you just don't like the politics of Saturday Night? No. Saturday See Night. that? Yeah. So realistically, and I've watched. I made a point of looking at every um, president that they've lambasted uh, since Reagan. And yep. it's, it's you know, some of it is, uh, you know, similar to what they do, with, that, that they have done with Trump. But like I said, it's not the centerpiece of everyone's focus. Like, right. during those periods, there's so many other things going on, and there was such good writing and, and just general... Um, uh, un unfiltered comedy on, on so many other topics that you don't need to focus on these things to get laughs. I don't care if if Hillary had won, I would expect them to do the exact same thing, which they wouldn't have done. But um, they would have attacked her. Though. They would have, yeah, but, yeah, not, but not in the not same way. To no, this that's, that's a fair point. Yeah, and it's it's just it's oh yeah, it's overwhelming at this point. Yeah, and it's exhausting. It is exhausting. Yeah. Like you hear about this stuff constantly during the day. And especially people like us, when we have to talk about it yeah. ad nauseum, like we do, um, and then you go to watch something that's supposed to be entertaining and lighthearted, and you know, kind of gets your mind off things. And the only thing that people are talking about is Sean Spicer rolling around on a podium or something like that, and how stupid everybody else comes across. I thought that was, that's, funny. I thought that was funny. It was, it was, it was <laughs> uh, yeah, honestly, that particular slapstick thing was kind of funny. So what do you think about somebody like John Oliver? So Saturday Night Live, okay, so John Oliver, <laughs> to give him credit, like, he doesn't pretend to be nonpartisan, right? And no. He, and his, so he, he had his first episode this week, and it was literally like 20 whatever minutes of attacking Trump. Right. Now, do you, what's your thought on the way that he approaches that, like, Daily Show kind of like? So realistically, my perspective on that is I think what The Daily Show did for comedy um, and and kind of meshing it with the news was, yeah. it was revolutionary, and it was innovative, and it got people interested in, in learning about the news. As that kind of evolved and progressed, when it became the source of news for people, mm -hmm. and shows like that became the only ways that they're forming opinions, or a predominant way that they're forming opinions, that's a problem. That's a yep. significant problem. Uh, because yeah. then you just have people regurgitating that bullshit, and it's not taking into account the complexities of whatever situation that they're talking about. And whatever, yeah. John Oliver has every right to do that, yeah. but... If you try and find someone on the other end doing that, they're gonna get crucified mm -hmm. for doing that. So I, 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 I respect what they do, and I like the Daily Show for the vast majority of its run, up until the very, pretty much the very end, where John Stewart just didn't give a shit anymore, yeah. and he wasn't going to hide the way that he felt. 
Um, I don't think I've ever watched an episode since he left because um, it's not funny anymore. Um, it's interesting to see. No, it's it's really interesting to see the way in which the country has shifted, and TV has shifted, and comedy has shifted. In this, it, it it feels even whether you're talking about you know the the ten thirty shows, the the Tonight Show, they're all critical of Trump, right? right. It, it feels like there's this been shift left, where I think politically the country has shifted right. Um, and yeah. that's it's it's an interesting battle to see that where voters and political power is on the right in those yeah. in significant numbers. Yeah, I I think it's and this is part of the reason that the election turned out the way that they did. You have this bizarre elitist media thing that is that permeates every part of society, and realistically, a significant portion, if not the majority of people, don't agree with that. That those just happen to be the voices that are out there. But the rate. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Phil. I, so I, I read an article, or I saw an article. Uh, I don't know how much of it I actually read. <laughs> did, did Donald Trump read it to you? <laughs> no, no. But it was, it was basically making the argument that even though the right consistently wins political wars, the left consistently wins cultural wars. Yeah, right. So so that even though the, the Republicans have are have had this very successful run in politics, they're actually losing the cultural wars. Right? Like if you look at the last fifteen years, we've had massive shifts in public opinion on gay marriage, on you know, like all the, the sort of the big social issues. Um, and so I mean in some ways that sort of the, the that, that kind of fits with this notion of like comedians and sort of the representing sort of the the social in, in some ways rep, representing um, yeah the 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 status of social issues in the U.S. right versus like Republicans which are largely in power because they've figured out how to win right so I don't I don't know that I could, I don't I don't know that I would necessarily agree that that it doesn't line up with what most Americans think I like. I, I think I don't think it. You know, I'm not saying that it, it perfectly represents what most Americans think, but I, I think the, the problem is that lots of people on the left just aren't showing up to vote. Like well, the Republicans exactly. are incredible. That's good the right point. Yeah, I think there's. Yeah, I think there's some of that. What I, I guess what it comes down to, and what has really worried me over the the past few weeks. Um, I know it's a good one, right? Yeah. Um, and we kind of talked about this briefly in, in a previous episode. Uh, while the Republicans have found a way to win from a political perspective, the Democrats have focused more on a cultural perspective, but it's become so militant that they drown out any other voice. So, and again, when you're talking about things like comedians and the fact that they get harangued and lambasted and are unable to do their jobs and somehow are being thought of as, you know, purveyors of, of knowledge as opposed to idiots up there with a microphone just talking about stupid shit, and then they somehow get brought into this political conversation and are held accountable for it, that's a problem. That's yeah. a real problem. No, I think your point is, is valid, which is that in, in an ideal world, you have a highly informed population who, you know, understands, is reading, the reading you know, news sources analyzing, you know, discussing, thinking about these things. And then you have comedians who come along and sort of make light of the issues and we can all laugh about it. But but the comedians, to some extent, have become 
the dispensers of knowledge right, as opposed right. to the yeah I, I totally understand that yeah. that complaint i would yeah. not, not to push back at all but i would say like to somebody who's left of center and is troubled by a trump administration and i think there's there's a fair amount of those of us out there this voice has been reassuring if only to say you're not alone right and uh so to see the way in which saturday night live attacks trump and some of other comedians attack trump that has been, I don't know what the right word is. It, but It's but, comforting. It's your security blanket. It is. It is. But realistically, nobody, no one on that side can say that they think they're alone. The entire breadth of the media is in their corner. No, I think, I think, I would say that they feel alone because you look at, you say the presidency's gone, the Congress is gone, Supreme Court appears to be gone, but you say like society. Well, we what? Yeah, we got Saturday Night Live. <laughs> right. No, and there's and there's some truth to comedy, right? And I think that's that's powerful. So even though the right has political power, you know, the fact that comedy hasn't been co-opted totally. Uh, no, but it's 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 getting that way. Like it, it yeah. used to be such a free-form thing. They were the Nick, counterculture. Give us comedy. Give us comedy. No, Nick. fuck you guys. No, and that's the thing. Comedy shouldn't be one way or another. This is one of the no, one can't. aspects of American culture that is supposed to be without prejudice and without political standing. You can, you're supposed to make fun of e uh, both sides equally. You can have a point of view, yeah. but again, what made Saturday Night Live so great was that they did do it for both sides. Right? You don't yeah. see that anymore. Here's that. I have... I have... So I had another point I was going to make, but I feel like I should respond to that. I, yes. I don't think comedy is like equal opportunity to some extent, but you sound like a comedy socialist, Nick. <laughs> I am a comedy the, socialist. Like, yes. I, I agree with you, right? Like comedy should like take shots at everyone. But like, let's admit it. Like Trump is a bigger tar like oh, if, yeah, if John Kasich, if John Kasich had yeah. won the Republican nomination and become president, like you would be able to make fun of him. But like, like, even that, you would make fun of him less than you would make fun of Trump, yes. because Trump is so out there. Cannot right? argue with that point one bit. Yeah, he is a huge target. But like yeah. you said, and what we've talked yeah. about through this entire thing, is that it's it's at a fever pitch. And right. people are not separating fact from, you know, comedy at this so, point. It, it's reinforcing a point that the media is also putting out there that it's... It, again, it's at this fever pitch that it seems like it's the end of the world. We have no power whatsoever. We're just going to kick and scream and fight back any way that we can to the to the point where the former president is, you know, calling it the resistance. Like it's a fucking Star Wars movie. Like it's so, so I, I don't blame them for doing that. Right. Like I think I can see where that's like just like for me coming on this every week is sort of therapeutic. I can understand where like. For them, it might be therapeutic to make fun of Trump or whatever. My question is, I, 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 I'm sort of surprised. Like, I kind of wonder how much it's actually hitting its target in the sense of it's certainly hit, it's getting to Trump. But like when I watch a Melissa McCarthy sketch in which she's playing Sean Spicer, it's hilarious to me. But it's hilarious because I do this for a living and I spend right. my days following news and reading Twitter and I know all these nuances and right. jokes that they're poking at, but I wonder, like, to, what percentage of, of the American people fully get? Like, I don't know. It seems like a very sort of 
focus type of humor and it's funny on its own but like they're getting it very kind of specific right but the, and the, that's the thing like i think they they think they're intelligent enough or they they're intelligent to the point and somewhat elitist to where they think that everyone is going to get their sense of humor where or, i i think that they don't understand that there's a significant portion of the population that is just going to take that and go well, obviously, this person that they're talking about is just a fucking idiot. Like, well, um, what about that, what about this though? Like, these are TV stations that are driven by ratings. Uh-huh. So they're not. I mean, NBC. We may want to say they're left of center in terms of their news coverage, but we'll say that. Well, but but they still. <laughs> it's still about viewership. Right. They're right. going to do the things that are going to titillate people, get people watching. Right. Which, of course, is going to be what's. Current. So I wonder, is is the right still tuning in to this and finding it funny? I can't imagine that they would. But then that could be bad for there has to be some appeal. Like even with the Daily Show, there was with young conservatives, they still watched the Daily Show. And so with Saturday Night Live, they have to be sensitive to the fact that if they go too far left, they're gonna lose their audience. And and then ratings go down and then then it's a whole different issue. I think it gets supplanted by people on the left though. Realistically, if you break it down, and let's say the the um, the ratings are broken down, split evenly between the two sides of the country, left and right, you're never going to get 150 million viewers per episode. Yeah, it's there's plenty of room to lose a significant chunk and gain another chunk from the other side. I'm not certain that NBC has made that. You look angry, Phil. Am I going to have to give an on-air discussion of bell curves and normal distributions? (laughs) (laughs) No, Phil, don't do that. (laughs) No, I think, yeah, it's, I I also, I suppose that you could make the argument that, like, the nuances, they're they're shedding light on these, so even if you don't know all the, the nuances and quirks of Sean Spicer, I suppose you could make the argument that you tune in, you watch that sketch, and it, and it, in some ways, makes you talk about them, right? Yeah. So, like, even if you know, like, if you didn't know anything about it, you might watch that and go, "What? You know, what? I don't, you know, what are they talking about?" And and you go and look it up, or you talk to neighbors about it, or friends, or whatever. So, yeah. I, I suppose that there could be a informative aspect to that, even if you don't, you don't necessarily know all the nuances and details. Yeah. But and I also, like, I think that, like. When they would make fun of Obama or whatever, like I, I voted for Obama, but I could laugh at him and joke about, sure it. about that. <laughs> I think you just looked in your desk drawer. Did I vote for Obama? Yes, I voted for Obama. I'm looking off I'm camera. I'm sure I didn't somewhere. vote for Obama the first time, but I think that was because I had just moved and so I wasn't registered yet. But anyway, um, in Texas, it wouldn't have mattered. Right. Exactly. <laughs> so, um, but. Uh, uh, yeah, I mean, like, I, I think you were talking about whether conservatives look at this and find this funny. I think there's a big chunk of conservatives who stand by the Republican Party but think that Trump is kind of a nincompoop, right? Yeah, like, so, like, he's yeah. sort of an idiot. And so right. I think they can watch that and think that's funny and still be very much, you know, a Republican and a conservative and think that it's insane that their party nominated this guy. Yes, agree. One of the things I'm, I'm curious to see what happens with comedy over the next few weeks is – up until this point, it's been making fun of Trump and some of the behavior of Trump and Spicer, but does it go deeper than that? So it's easy to mock him. Right? It's easy to make right. fun of Trump. It's easy to make fun of Spicer, and there's some value in that. But at some point, you got to go deeper and say, like, what are they up to, right? right. And that's and that's that's the brilliance of comedy to, right. to get to the essence of an individual, whether it's his his authoritarian nature, his populist nature. 
I mean, for me, the Melissa McCarthy, why I like that so much is it gets to the way in which Sean Spicer conducts a press conference, right? Mm. This kind of aggressive in your face. Like, I like that. I, I'm not, I don't, I mean, it's funny when she's chewing all the gum, but that's not as funny as when she's driving around the podium and smashing into people, right? For me, right. that's funny. Like, that's the way he approaches questions and answers. So yeah. I, I hope that, I, I hope that comedy continues to think in that way. Yeah. And not just, because Trump is going to give them endless material of silly behavior. Right. Which is less substantive. Yeah. yeah. And, and and again, not to continue to harp on SNL, but you look at something like when, um, when they were doing Reagan, it was, it was pretty much the opposite of what they do now. So whatever. Right now they yeah. do the surface bullshit of, of yeah. Trump just being a buffoon and a lunatic. Um, and you look at Phil Hartman, who's doing uh, who's doing Reagan, and the starting point of that was him being a buffoon and you know this guy from the Midwest yeah. who doesn't know anything, talking to Girl Scouts or whatever. And immediately when they go out the room, he's the guy you know saying back to work, and yes. everybody comes in and he's got maps out and he's talking in like Urdu or something like that and doing all the work for everybody. Like there's yeah. there's a you can have a different perspective on the person that you're making fun of to make it more funny. If you right. just keep doing this surface bullshit like they're doing, it's going to get really old really fast. At least I hope it would. And if it doesn't, people are just stupid, and I don't care about it. But the, 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 so, shift, yeah. Go, Phil. <laughs> Phil, go. Your comment, your comment about, yeah, Reagan being sort of this mastermind and having maps and everything does bring up the fact that... <laughs> One of the points worth mentioning is that it did come out in a news story this week that Trump really likes maps in his daily brief. <laughs> All right, so two things on that. Maps. One, he loves maps, and so the the deal was the, the 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 presidential briefings used to be for Obama liked three to six pages, single spaced. Trump has said one space. I'm sorry, sorry one page. Two beers, two beers. <laughs> one one page with lots of graphs and figures. <laughs> he likes the president likes maps. Yes. Sorry, I totally derailed your point, which no. was a very good no, point. No, it's good because he whatever <laughs> Trump is the Buster Bluth of of presidents for Arrested <laughs> Development. Thank yes. you. All right, and can I throw the hashtag that Phil mentioned? Comedy socialist, because yes, that's fantastic. I will gladly be a comedy socialist. That might be the first, the, the first barstool politics tweet might have the hashtag comedy socialist <laughs> in it. <laughs> I, all right, and I should probably explain that a little bit and and step back from that. Like, I don't think you should, um, as a single individual, ha be a person who has to go on both sides of the spectrum. Obviously, people have their opinions. But their comedy as a, a whole and, in, as, and as an institution is supposed to be above or beyond that. Like, you're not supposed to be so in the corner of one side or the other to make it a political stance. Unless you're talking about something like even they didn't even do it in Vietnam. I don't know what the hell that, that is. Yeah, I'm gonna stick with that. No, yeah, I'm gonna be. I a, think uh, that's yeah. a fair point. And it, yeah, should we should we talk about our beers? Yes, please. All right, <laughs> Phil, do you want to start? Or do you want me to start? Uh, I can start. Yeah. Doesn't matter. So I had two beers tonight. My first was um, a Hellish Lager from Von Trapp Brewing oh, in Stowe, Vermont. I thoroughly enjoyed it. I, I like lagers. I, I mean, I like IPAs and stuff, but I tend to like a, sort of a lighter beer. Um, it was fantastic. I will drink that again. And then I had a Banded Horn Viridian IPA, Ooh. which is out of Maine. And it was very hoppy. <laughs> <laughs> is that a good thing? 
Well, I think so. Easy I think if you liked IPAs, sponsors. like I, so I, I'm sort of mixed on IPAs. Like I, yeah. I, I, I like them, but I don't love them. I think if you were an IPA guy, you would I, like this would be great. Yeah. Um, it was a little like almost a little too much for me, and that was probably partly because I had the Hellas Lager first, and then went to an IPA, which was like a, whew. But um, <laughs> but yeah, it was good. I think if you were into IPAs, I think that that Banded Horn Viridian would be a, a great thing to pick up. All right. So I went with a Gone Away, which is from Half Acre in Chicago, and it is an IPA, and it was actually, it was a very good IPA. Unlike Phil, I do enjoy IPAs. Uh, it was a refreshing, not too heavy IPA, uh, and it's got a really fancy looking can. My second beer, which I would say was actually an even better beer, was Old Rasputin, Russian Imperial Stout. Uh, and that is from the uh, North Coast Brewery, and this was actually wonderful. I love, I love a stout every once and again, and a Rasputin stout. This was this was really really good. It had a little bit of chocolate, a little bit of coffee to it. Ooh, um, is, that, is that what you have in your glass right now? No, that's a that's a Phil. That's my third beer. You shouldn't comment what? on that. <laughs> I can't see your glass, but I, I was wanting to see it. If that it's was, it's yeah. always full. <laughs> Actually, the third beer I'm having is a uh, Belt and Suspenders, which is a beer I've talked about before from Buckle Down Brewery, which is uh, a brewery in Illinois. Also, very, very good beer. It's, a, it's an IPA. I always go back to the IPAs. But uh, of the three today, this old Rasputin Russian Imperial Stout was, was, was the winner. Fantastic. Uh, I had a, uh, as the um, uh, resident uh, right-leaning person uh i won with three beers thus far um yes so <laughs> um i had a uh, a rubric a brack i think that's how you say it rubric rubric a brack i'm, I'm anti-rubric uh, <laughs> like a rubric a brack yeah rubric a brack i don't like rubrics <laughs> um from weiner beer company which is out of chicago i have never heard of them before um, but it was it was nice and light and had kind of a citrusy taste to it. Um, it's definitely one I'll probably be picking up uh, again. Um, second one I had was a uh, it's called uh, Catchpenny. It's a session rye ale from Miskatonic Brewing Company. Where the hell are they out of? Somewhere. Oh, they're from Darien. Fantastic. All this stuff is from Illinois. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, a little bit heavier. Uh, nice and and, and smooth. Uh, definitely something worth picking up. Um, mm -hmm. Or you can sponsor us, whichever you prefer to do. Um, <laughs> and then I had a, a Deschutes uh, Red Chair uh, NWPA, which Deschutes is is always great. And anything that's um, kind of uh, on the red side, but it's also a pale ale, is um, it was it was delicious. So every, every beer say, they make is fantastic. Mm -hmm. Did you say NWPA? NWPA. Yeah. Is that a, uh, what is that? Northwest Paleo? What it is. That? is. It's okay. exactly that. Gold Star for Gold Star for you, Phil. <laughs> Are you drinking bourbon now, Phil? It looks like yeah. you just pulled out a bottle of bourbon. <laughs> yeah. No. no I, I have like a two day old bottle of iced tea on my desk. Oh that God. I resorted to. <laughs> I uh, said so we we have a few minutes left, and Nick, do you want to? You had you had an incident today that you so wanted to reflect rant, upon. Rant, rant, rant. <laughs> and and given that nobody is probably listening at this point, no, nobody gives a shit. <laughs> no, so I I got a phone call from someone I know who uh, is doing a uh, a month long training course, a, a pretty expensive month long training course, 
in in a class setting uh, with different people and and whatnot. So, in one of the classes that she was doing, one of the the students and one of the instructors uh, decided that they wanted to go to a uh, a women's march or gathering or or event or something like that. Uh, they then told the leader of this course that everybody wanted to go, uh, so they completely switched around the schedule and everyone was then obligated to go to this women's gathering thing. Which, whatever. That's the, that's realistically not the point of the story, so hang on. Just strap in for a minute. <laughs> um, so this person was uh, was not interested in going. They paid a significant amount to, to do this course and um, you know, want to do within a specific amount of time and, you know, they don't have time for this bullshit. So they mentioned this to uh, one of the people who said that they wanted to go. This person then responded and said, I can't be friends with you anymore because you don't support women and you don't understand the struggle that we have against men and what we need to do to fight against them. Mm-hmm. And, like, it, this just, it, it, like, it just rang of... Chapped your ass. It really chapped my ass. Real, real bad. Because you see this stuff. And, like, it, this has nothing to do with women's rights or or whatever protests that you want to do. Like, the fact that people are now disagreeing, yeah. which is happening so much more. And I'll go into the other examples immediately after yeah. this. Um, that people can't even not disagree, but just don't want to be involved. Yeah. Like that, that rings of fascism or communism or any of the things that people are relating to the right wing or Trump or the yeah. administration. And you look at things like uh, when, uh, not that I'm a supporter of him whatsoever, when uh, Milo Yiannopoulos or whatever was yeah. at uh, Berkeley, was at Berkeley, and the, the massive amount of protests that they had there, and people just destroying property for no reason which was hilarious that they were destroying Starbucks as Starbucks was saying they're going to hire 10,000 refugees. And then uh, Gavin McGinnis in, uh, at NYU, who was just going to talk to the student body, who then got bear-maced in the face as he was trying to get into the, the, um, uh, the actual venue. And like you, it, it, the fact that people are demonizing the right as these misogynistic, um, homophobic, Islamophobic, racist pieces of shit. And the only things that I'm hearing mm-hmm. out of out of the mainstream media, for the most part, is that the problem isn't coming from the right. It's coming from people that are so emotional on the left yeah. that they've now resorted to physical violence to, to stop people. I was watching a video from one of those protests. They, um, protesters in masks... Uh, took a, a, a flagpole, a metal flagpole, knocked some poor kid out, and then were just beating him mm-hmm. while he was unconscious on the ground for another five minutes. So, like, it's it's just insane to me that the this narrative that the right is they're these piece of shit people that are keeping everyone else down, and they're those are, those are the people that are dividing the country is so fucking out of control and I just want to throw something <laughs> not at that computer screen because yeah, no, you're Nick, there we're somewhere. in my office so there's yeah. no throwing allowed yeah like it's I, I, like I'm just so incensed about it that I had to say something well and I, so I have lots of things that 
to say, but one of which I think part of the reason we're doing this podcast is because we would like to model the fact that you can you can you can have, have a discourse conversations where people are coming from different perspectives and still engage and and it'd be fun about it, right? right. Uh, now the other well, thing I would Nick, say is Nick is a homophobic, racist <laughs> son of a bitch. <laughs> yeah, that's a, okay, <laughs> that's the thing. Like it means nothing now. No, it's, and, they say it to everybody. And, and so, so you know, the, the, a couple. One reaction is that you know I think we've entered a hypersensitive environment, and in some on some level, I understand that both from the left and from the right, uh, everybody's feeling really, really tense right now. And right. and I think about it. So so the reality is that we're three white men having a conversation right now. So, you know, the, you take that for what it is, right? I mean, so... But, but the majority of these people who are doing the protests are middle-class, either white sure. men or women. Right. Or upper-class white men and women. No, and so I think what, what's happening here, and I, I'm, I think what we do is a really important voice in, in having these conversations, I am sympathetic, in some ways, to both sides. I am mm -hmm. sympathetic to the person of color who gets frustrated with white men having these conversations saying, you know, you're telling me that you shouldn't build a wall. So if we think about some of these policies, whether it's the wall or a Muslim ban, we can have this conversation. It's right. not going to affect us. We're going to be fine. But somebody who feels that has a different reaction, a more immediate reaction. And, and I understand the rage they feel. I also feel the sense of alienation and frustration on the right where they say, you know, if the liberal media controls the discourse, and suddenly you're you're missing the white working class who genuinely, and I, I I agree with this, have real concerns about a political, economic, and social system which has left left them behind. Right. So there's there's groups that feel neglected and alienated, and they're not excited about engaging with the other. Right. Yeah. I, I yeah, and I guess my my counter to that would be I I do think that there's. A breakdown in communication about specific issues, yes. but it's getting to the point where people can't even get to the point where they have they're able to have those discussions. Yeah, and people are getting the shit kicked out of them before you can even have that discussion. Yeah, no, so I, I, go Phil. No, I, I think it's also important to point out that or uh, there's a danger in overgeneralizing as well, right? So like, no. it's easy to take, and I think we. <laughs> We have we have started taking these sort of anecdotal evidence about like so your friend was treated you know like that that that's ridiculous right but I, I, I and I, similar like it, it's it's easy to point to you know Milo or whatever and people want to draw these conclusions about you know the people on the right or people on the left. and I, I think the fact of the matter is that most people are more complex than that right so I, like I, I think that. Part of the problem is that we create, we, we tend to paint with these very broad brushstrokes that are not all that representative, right? And that's partly the news media, no, right? So like yeah. the protests in Milo, you know, at, 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 what was it, at Berkeley, that turned violent, right? Like, that's all that got the coverage in the news. But there were, there were I, my impression, or my understanding is there were widespread nonviolent protests, right? Right. But the thing that's going to catch all the news are the idiots that go out and, like, smash and burn things, right? Right. But you and don't so, see that coming from the other side of the political aisle, is what I'm saying. But you did for a while, right? I mean, when, when Obama was in a power, like the right, you know, the, the, the Tea Party, like that was their expression of angst and frustration. Yeah, but you didn't see that going into the streets and destroying parts of cities, did you? 
But but again, you're 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 talking about a very small group of people. I agree. Yes. One hundred percent. Not so not disagreeing like with that whatsoever. Saying, I'm not like, saying this is uh, this is all encompassing of any part of the political yeah. spectrum. I'm right, saying but, that there are there are elements that are now and again this kind of ties in with the comedy thing that they're so incensed and emotional and scared about what's going on because of the information that they're being given or provided from whatever outlet that they're getting it from that they then have to go out into the streets and their only reaction is to be violent for lack of a better term again i'm not saying that's a majority in any way shape or form but the only voices that are getting silenced when they're trying to discuss an opposing point of view are coming from the right at this point See, I don't. I don't agree with that. Okay. I, I mean, I, I mean, I think, I, I think that's what's making the news, right? But like, you, there was a lot of discussion of the, like, of the insanity and the inappropriateness of these violent protesters, right? Sure. So I don't like. I, I don't think that it's only people on the left who are saying the right are stupid, right? Like, there's like, if you go to Fox News or anything, there's lots of people on the right who are talking about the ridiculous of the ridiculousness of the left and how George, you know, what's his name, Soros, Soros is paying yeah. for all these protesters. Well, obviously, so he controls the planet. We all know that. <laughs> so I, it goes both ways, right? And 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 it, it I, you know, I, I it's, I did, I think that's that's my sort of caution is that like. It's you. You should be able to say, like in this instance of your friend, that the person who said this to her was wrong. Sure. But at the same time, not to assume that everyone on the like I think that part of the danger is starting to assume that everyone on the left is similar, right? No, I agree. Right? But vice versa, right? To assume exactly. that everyone on the right yeah, is intolerant right. of people yeah, on the left, right? So Meryl Streep out there talking about brown shirts coming to fucking murder and kidnap people. Yeah. that's a problem. But, but those, are the, those that's part of the problem is that especially in the age of you know, social media and all of that, that's the sexy, exciting stuff, right? So that's what gets the attention. And it doesn't get, so, so like we had all this media coverage of the crazy, the people at Berkeley who go out and cause violence or like on the inauguration, the people who burned the limo or whatever. And it's almost like you got as much coverage of that as you did of the, you know, millions of people who showed up at the women's march peacefully, right? Because it's, well, they were, the perfect example is the, the, the pictures they had on inauguration day of the 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 trash can fire, the trash can that yeah. lit on fire, yeah. and there were like fifty media people gathered around it taking right, pictures. Right, right. So so part of it is is again challenging these sort of narratives about the other side. To I some agree. Extent. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and 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 realistically, this is not to paint the other side in a bad light. Like I said, I don't yeah. even kind of agree that the left, the vast vast majority of people who are on the left or you know marginally left-leaning would ever act like this and i think we can have a political discourse and work through these issues and that's why i think what we do in this situation clearly we don't all agree i know you guys don't agree with me on a lot of points but we can have fun with it and just and be able to talk about it and i feel like that's that's starting to get lost in in the the broader american no, citizenry. It's a real concern, and I think that it, and it's and I understand why each side doesn't want to talk to the other. Sure, but that doesn't solve the problem, mm-hmm. right? And I even think about it at a local level, a neighborhood level, there are times where 
if, if I'm thinking about somebody who's a person of color and somebody else who voted for Donald Trump, I understand why that person of color feels anger, yeah, right? you have to have empathy. Right. You say, like, you know, this individual is, you know, whether we're racist, sexist, whatever, whatever, homophobic, whatever it would be, like, you're voting for somebody that is targeting me. So these, we've set up a dynamic where it's very personal. And so we have to find a way to bridge that to back up to a more normal conversation. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And that's, that's what's... So the, the difficult thing is finding that line, right? Because... There's the the argument that you're making, which is that like you need to recognize that other people have viewpoints that are valid as well, right? If you like, if you go down that line all the way, you get to this sort of postmodern nihilism in which everyone's viewpoint is valid, right? Like everyone is okay, right? No, and, and I don't no think we, don't, that, we don't want to go there, though. No, do we? I no. Hate that. So, so yeah. at some point, most some people's point, viewpoints are not valid; they're dumb. Right. So, but it, what that means then is there is a point in which you say to someone, your viewpoint's not valid, right? right? You're wrong. There are just some but dumb that, people. <laughs> but that is also what you're complaining about, right? So how do you find that point at which you're willing to say, I recognize and I acknowledge your viewpoint, but at some point, like, this is important enough for me that I'm going to tell you you're wrong and I'm going to disagree with you, right? That's where the, that's the hard. And I would say it's particularly difficult in a Trump administration, where that nuance is oftentimes lost, uh, sure. and I yeah, so that it's 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 not an easy time. No, it's hard. I want yeah. more beer. There's it's not hard. enough. I, there's just not enough. All right, do uh, <laughs> um, we got to end on a, end on a happy note? Phil, do you have anything happy, funny? <laughs> no, no, no pressure there. Uh, uh, nothing's coming to my mind right now because right. I, I, I've had I'm two beers in and I've been talking about everything I've thought about for the last Aww. few days. Well, okay, real quick. I mean, just maybe we can wrap on this up on this note. So Donald Trump, uh, while he's been very busy legislatively, has not signed a lot. Um, so there was I think there's I think he signed two agreements. One was the deal to allow Mattis. Uh, to avoid the the ban of somebody from the military coming in within so many years, he clearly signed that Valentine's order that I put on the Facebook page. This was fantastic, <laughs> and you did that. This was you should go to, to Facebook and see that. And then there was another. I can't remember what the other deal was, but the the agreement coming up that's gone through the House and the Senate. I think he's most likely to sign now is this agreement that allows mentally ill individuals to now buy guns. <laughs> Yay! So, America, and, freedom. Yes, uh, and as somebody who's not a, I, I just I don't get guns. I, I don't, don't get it. I don't understand. Right? Why? Don't, this is like the first substantive thing. Yeah, of all the things that's that what you I don't you're going to start with. Yeah, that's not a good one. No, no right? It's not, um, not at all. I don't, I don't think the mentally that. ill are a real danger with their guns, but. Um, I don't agree with that. With that, like, I think it's insane that they're rolling back that legislation. I think it's even crazier that that's like the first thing they're doing. <laughs> right. Like, I, that seems like something you do in like year three when nobody's paying attention. Exactly. Right. Exactly. right. You sneak that through. Yeah. You're like, yeah, here's the deal. We're getting this through, but this is not the lead. Yeah. Eleven fifty nine before you leave. Right. Yeah. You've hardened, <laughs> so snowed, whatever it is. Yeah. <laughs> what's the philosophical argument for that? Just the fundamental right to bear arms and how dare you tell me I can't? People need guns, damn it. <laughs> to, crazy people have to protect themselves against other crazy people. So I, but I, like They the, were defenseless. Besides yeah. their feces that I would assume they throw at each other in the absence of guns. It, it, yeah, no, I, I'm not going to try to defend that. Um, it is, uh, it's an interesting choice, as you noted, for the first piece of legislation going through. Mm-hmm. So. 
Uh, I don't really know if that was happy, but uh, <laughs> I feel like we should end at this point. I think we should. We go this. I, you know, I I keep saying we should get closer to an hour. You know, we should be more efficient. Yeah, it's not gonna happen. And then I get my first beer, and I'm like, let's yeah, go nope, as long as it takes. Oh, like an, what are we like an hour and a half at this point? We are at like a little over an hour and a half. All right, yeah. we'll stop. We'll stop. Um, yeah, like like we mentioned before, rate us on iTunes, subscribe uh, or SoundCloud, whichever you prefer. Um, we're good like that. We're apparently uh, socialistic um, podcasters, for lack of a better term. Um, Hashtag comedy socialist. Yes, comedy socialist. <laughs> yes, you can put that with a picture of me if you can find any. Um, yeah, well, thank you guys again, as always, for being here. Yeah, always fun. Um, Cheers. Yeah, and uh, we'll see you guys next week, I would assume. All right, bye.